Shall I pop the kettle on? Oh, yeah, go on. Nice cup of tea. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to the very first series of Put the Kettle On with me, Jed Thurkettle. Guys, episode eight. Um, before we kick off with this very special episode, I want to firstly say a massive thank you to everyone for the response and the kind words I've got for, for one that's actually, we're recording this today on the Tuesday, so that came out today, but it'll be last week's episode. Thank you very much, everyone. You've been very supportive. It's lovely. Um, now, I have a very special guest on today, and she is, I've said it before, but this this lady, this young woman, Lauren Shute, is one of the most inspirational people that I that I know, and it was a, a no-brainer to have her on. I'm very glad you're on. Hello, Lauren. Stop, Jed. What an introduction. I feel like <laughs> I'm not going to be able to live up to that during this conversation. Now, I will obviously link her Instagram and that below. Um... But Lauren, you went through, I'd say, quite a, a life-changing experience um, yeah. a, a while back. Would you like to tell everyone what you went through uh, when it was? Yeah. Um, so in 2013, yeah, so I was uh, just starting year 13. Um, and it's kind of two weeks into year 13. And well, in the summer before then, I'd found this kind of like lump in my throat. And I remember chatting to my mum and being like, oh, does everyone have one of these? Thinking it was like a, a female's Adam's apple. I thought that okay. like, women have them too. Um, yeah. They don't, apparently. So my mum was like, oh, that's um, quite a big lump. Like, we'll probably yeah. get that checked out. Um, so I went to the doctor and she kind of had a feel around and she was like, oh, it's probably, I don't know what it is, but we'll get it checked out. Um, so I had it basically an operation. They thought it was my thyroid. Okay. So they kind of made a little incision and it turned out it was a lymph node that had like I didn't even know how to describe it, it was a bit grim it kind of like become this lump sort of thing oh lovely um yeah oh I know <laughs> so I got pictures as well <laughs> they, oh took, my they gosh. took it out and of I was my eyes only guys yeah I'll um yeah I don't think anyone will see them to be honest but um yeah so they took it they took it out and I was like obsessed with Iron Man at the time so I'd just seen Iron Man 3 like three times so I called the lump Tony after Tony Stark brilliant yeah 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 um yeah, and so I was like, oh, okay, that's fine, that's that done. Um, and then kind of, it was a bit shambolically disclosed to us, um, sort of in dribs and drabs through people not realising that people hadn't told my mum what was going on. Yeah. So she was kind of getting calls from people being like, oh, you don't know what it is, as in like, we do and you don't. Um, and she was like, no, don't tell me, don't tell me on the phone. <laughs> she was like, wait yeah, till yeah, we're yeah, with the doctor. Um, and then we got a call saying that we had to go to the Oxford Children's Oncology Department I didn't know what the word oncology meant and no one told me it was was the oncology department. And what what is... So oncology is like the word they use for cancer. Yeah. Um. So I kind of like rocked up and I was like, oh, you know, this is not, nice. Not really thinking no, that. No, I was like, oh, God. no, it's a nice hospital, get in there. Um, and there's this kind of lady sitting there who, if anyone's seen The Incredible, she looks exactly like Edna Mode. Like she's like <laughs> tiny, she's got a little bob, she's got glasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she's kind of sitting there and she's like, hi, I'm Sheila. And I was like, oh, hi, Sheila. I was like, oh, yeah. this is nice. Um, and I suddenly, I don't know why I didn't clock, but like all my family were there and the mood of the room suddenly felt quite sort of somber. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is all getting very serious. I wonder what they're going to tell me. And she was like, okay, so, you know, we've, we found this lump. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, we've had some kind of biopsies. And I was like, yeah. She was like, so it's, it's Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I was like, okay, like, great. Thanks. Yeah. Um, and she was like, so what we do know is that that's a childhood cancer. And I was like, okay, that's, that's fine. And then she was like, um, so what we're going to do is 
um, chemotherapy. That's the most effective way to treat this. Yeah. And again, I was like, it's fine. I think my mum and my sister at this point were kind of tearing up. But me and my dad don't really kind of cry at these things. So we were like, oh, yeah, okay. You know, come on, guys, hold it together. Yeah, and, yeah. and then she, it wasn't until she said chemo and she said a couple of other things. And I can't remember what they were. And then my brain suddenly started to think, it just heard chemo and suddenly thought hair. And I was just suddenly like, oh, first thing. That was the first thing. And I was like, oh, hold on. And I was like, can we just, I was like, Sheila, very quickly, the chemo point you just made then. Is my hair going to fall out? And I remember her being like, there was like a pause and she looked at me. She was like, I mean, there's, there's quite a high chance it will. God. And I was like, oh, sugar. And then I got upset. Oh, <laughs> then, so that's, that, that was, was almost your, your yeah. little route into, sort of, I don't know, hitting. You, you realising the yeah. penny dropping actually. that, And then that was what... Um, and that was it. And then I was kind of like, and, and looking back, I think it's easy to say with hindsight, oh, that's a superficial thing to be worried about. But I yeah. think as a, how old was I, 17-year-old girl you know, hair is a, an important part of image. And Massively. Exactly. Massively. And I think, you know, everyone wants to feel good in the way they look. And yeah. I think suddenly thinking, oh, sugar, I'm going to be bald. That's not ideal. Yeah, especially at a point where you are becoming an adult as well. I mean, you're yeah. maybe a few years around that age, but you're dating, things like that. The last I think, thing well, you want. Wait, wait there, Jeff. Not all of us Let's are doing slow down, that. Not slow before marriage, down. guys. No, come, come on. on. But um, yeah, you start. You, you are becoming more conscious about your, yeah, your looks and how people perceive you. So that was obviously that was. It's that crazy was, how that was the first thing that that, that was upset the hardest you. part. And I think I had a terrible relationship with kind of my body and food at that point. Anyway, so I suddenly thought to myself, "Oh God!" And now this. Yeah. And and then Sheila was kind of you know very kind about it and was like you know it will grow back and I was like yeah I'm sure it will grow back Sheila yeah. but it's gonna take a while isn't it and then after that I just didn't really hear anything because I was just upset about my hair and yeah. every time they were kind of did you have out. that moment where because I, I know other people I've spoken to they something they hear when, when they're being told yeah what they've got and just nothing else goes through then it all sort of that goes in it. one ear and out the yeah. other yeah and I, again you know like I said hindsight is easy to be like oh that was a superficial thing to be worried about but yeah. that was my main concern and then the nurses kind of take you out and they start doing all these kind of tests and blood tests and stuff and I was kind of thinking the whole time I was just crying and I was asking every yeah. nurse in the the hope that one of them might go oh no actually this might not make your hair fall out really? but they were all like oh no it probably will but it's gonna grow back and there are nice scarves and I was like I don't want a scarf yeah. I want hair but- so being being told I guess that you have cancer You've spoken about the the idea that your hair's falling out. That's what upset you. What other feelings were you going through initially? Honestly, Jed, and I feel really bad saying this, but it was literally just it hair. It was just hair. No, I mean, everyone had, everyone reacts to things differently. Yeah, but I think, and I think also because I had no idea what chemotherapy was, really. Yeah. And it wasn't until an economics lesson, I think the the day after. So I went back into school the day okay. after. Um I'm a bit of a goody two-shoe, so the thought of missing yeah, school was Because like... we, I think it's important to say we're actually very close family friends. Yes. Um, our mum's known each other since day dot. Yeah. And I've got the same birthday as your, your young to, sister. You have to try and just steal everything of mine, don't you, Jed? Steal I'm really sorry, birthday. yeah. No, we'll, we'll get back God. to the important stuff now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, so yeah, I am a bit of a goody two-shoe, so I didn't want to miss school. So I kind of went back in the next day, um, and we were in an economics lesson, and one of the the things they were talking about was, I don't know, like fiscal policy or something and how sometimes with the economy you have to make things worse, make things better. And the analogy they used was very much like chemotherapy. You have yeah, to yeah. make the person sicker to make them better. And I was reading it going, oh, that doesn't sound particularly nice way of being treated. Yeah. I didn't read anything into it. Um, but I think I didn't, 
the main concern was my hair and okay. that was i think it was just a, a sense of loss yeah. because um and i can kind of tell you the the details of kind of how it falls out if you want but i think it was just that was the biggest because i think for me it was like once the hair starts going the cancer's like actually happening yeah I think that, when, that was what yeah because yeah. i think um but as soon as i started chemo i was like whoa no okay no the cancer's happening because chemo is is not i don't know how many people hopefully none of the listeners have had it yeah um yeah, but it's, it's not a fun experience i wouldn't recommend so it. going through chemo then that from the very first I, they're sessions aren't they really yeah it's they're kind of doing in cycles so i had yeah. two co- called oepa and then four called copdac two yeah. or something and then two weeks of radiotherapy. So the, the first two chemos were pretty savage. So there was a drug called doxorubicin, which is, and it's red. It even looks mean. Really? Um, and they kind of bring it in in this like bright yellow bag, like toxic, toxic, toxic. And I'm like, oh my God, why are you putting that in me if it's toxic? But, um, you know, it does the job. Um, yeah. But I remember like, I was so ups- I was still so upset. And they kind of, you get a thing called a Hickman line, which is like a, well, they call it your wiggly. Yeah. Um, and it's like a plastic tube, I guess, that kind of gets put permanently in your side. And yeah. then it gets, you go to, to have an operation to have it done. Um, and it gets put in a vein in your neck. So the chemo then goes through this line that's kind of coming out of your side. And you have that in the entire time you're having chemo. Oh. So it was in there for like 10 months. Yeah. Um, and then they put the chemo through that because the chemo, if it goes through your veins, like in your hands and stuff, it can be quite um, irritating. Yeah, okay. The word they use. Um, yeah, so that kind of, it all goes through there and I remember they put it in and I remember like looking at it being like oh my god now like any second now my hair's gonna come out any second now you thought it was gonna be that was it um it wasn't Um, so through that the first session and and onwards how quickly do you I said deteriorate basically both physically um from from the hair falling out that process um as well as your insides I mean everything's just getting destroyed isn't it it's a really weird way of treating someone because I didn't feel ill up until the point someone told me I had cancer. Um, I didn't feel like something was wrong, per se. Yeah. But it is pretty immediate. I mean, the, the chemo is essentially just poison. Yeah. But it attacks fast-growing cells, and cancer is a fast-growing cell. So they put it in, and then I remember the day I felt fine. I was like, oh, I don't know what everyone's talking about. Like, they give me all these anti six. This yeah, is yeah. fine. Like, I'm going to be okay. And then I remember getting in the car and being like, oh, I feel a little bit kind of queasy. Yeah. And then I remember getting home and just like, throwing up and then yeah being like oh my god is this what it's going to be like um and that is kind of what it's like you're essentially just feel very kind of sick very tired um because it's a fast growing cells obviously it attacks not only your hair but um your gums as well so you get really bad yeah, mouth okay. ulcers some people lose like nails um, so does generally life becomes very yeah. It, much worse than inconvenient, but every little thing is suddenly becoming affected that you didn't even realise before was you perhaps take for granted as such. So yeah. it's like when you get it, very simple terms, but when you get a cold and you get a blocked nose, you don't realise you've That's taken it. breathing for granted. That's literally That's it. And then you forget what it was ever like to feel well. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God. Like you watch people just walking about and you're like, oh, what I'd give to just walk. Like, I mean, I could walk. That's yeah, a bit yeah. of a, I'd be dramatic there. But without, without that, um, the worries. And... Yeah, exactly. And I think suddenly you're, your schedule is taken up you know you're in hospital every day from kind of seven till seven it's it's a bit of a kind of schlep to kind of go yeah. in and chemo is a lot of waiting around so you get there and sometimes the medicine won't be ready so you have to wait for a couple of hours and then sometimes you have to have um a kind of a flush with the chemo so you'll have to have all these fluids because your kidneys 
um, get really affected by them. So yeah. then you have to wait for another, like, another four hours while that gets put through. And then if you're sick, you have to stay in. I was really lucky, actually. I didn't have to stay in. Okay. Um, but then your taste changes as well. So all the food you like before suddenly tastes horrible. Everything yeah, is it like, like a metallic sort of yeah, taste? Yeah, really, really yeah. metallic. And some of the chemos you can taste. So there's one called vincristine, which they keep in the fridge. So when they put it in in your kind of Hickman line, your wiggly, um, I know someone. I remember coming in and she was like, "Oh, could you just get your wiggly out?" And I was like, "Oh, what like is that. this?" And she was like, "You know, your line." I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. slightly less exciting." But um, yeah, so they, they kind of put it in, and it's so cold that you feel it go in, and you immediately taste it in your mouth. Like you, you, you at no point do you ingest it. Like, That's crazy. It's, it's so gross. So my sister, bless her, used to buy me all this like gum that I was obsessed with. So while they were putting it in, I'd be like chewing frantically. Yeah, yeah, yeah trying not to taste it so um, how did you throughout the process um how how were people around you close friends and family how how did they deal with it because it's, it's something we've spoken about before in terms of when these things happen or someone's dealing with something obviously your your circles affected as well yeah how was everyone? definitely i think i'm incredibly lucky and i i say this to literally everyone if anyone says to me oh like that was amazing you got through that i always say like well, it really wasn't just me at all. Like, there was my mum, my dad, my sister. Yeah. I mean, absolutely incredible. But it wasn't just them. It was, like, all our close family friends. Teachers at Georgie's school were yeah. amazing. Um, there were people who just kind of came to the rescue to help me with things and would offer to kind of, like, read my essays or, yeah. um, I don't know, give me some revision material or stuff, which was fantastic. And I think... I think cancer is one of those things that people do really rally around. And I hope that soon it's the same with, with other illnesses like mental health, especially because yeah. I do think there's still that stigma with mental health that cancer is so visible. You know, yeah. you see someone's bald, you and see them. so many people are affected by it yeah. visibly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I hope that, you know, mental health goes the same way because I think that's really important too. Um, but I think I was incredibly lucky with the support yeah. I had. And um, people did amazing fundraisers. My sister did an incredible concert. She raised so much money. Um, the Teenage Cancer Trust, shout out to them. Because yeah. um, they are absolutely amazing. Um, I, I wasn't on awards, so they have kind of special awards dedicated to teenagers. Um, but you can well, you can go to those if you're in the kind of catchment. Yeah, I wasn't. Okay. Um, but I've met people who were, and they absolutely loved them, and said so they were fantastic. And they put you in touch with other teenagers yeah. who have been through the same thing like i've made some amazing friends it's a support network as well you a lot of these things you feel like you're going into it alone and yeah. just these organizations charities that are able to set you up with different people um can either give you hope if if they're in different stages of, of treatment and things but also it's just having that uh that comfort around you i think exactly and i think it's it's um one of those things where unless you so i i used to get very very tired and yeah. I think I would always say to my friends that like my friends would be so lovely and be like oh can we come around and, ju- and just see you yeah and I'd be like oh I'm tired and they'd be like oh yeah and I think people think oh yeah they're tired but there's chemo tired and there's like normal tired yeah, yeah and yeah. chemo tired I can't even explain and but when I say it to my friends who've had cancer they're all like oh my gosh yeah like chemo tired it absolutely knocks you for six like so, yeah so people can understand sort of how this was affecting you yeah um it, it's not a, like you say a tired where you think oh had a few hours sleep, I'm knackered, but I need to get on with my day. How was yeah. this affecting your day-to-day life? Yeah, so, so the drugs kind of, your body is, is, I guess, trying to constantly repair itself, but you're mm. also constantly bashing it about. Under attack, The basically. poor thing is probably, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. Um, but so that kind of, you know, knocks you for six, but also the anti-sick drugs they give you and the painkillers make you very, very sleepy. 
Yeah. Um, and then they'll give you kind of like, if you're in, you know, agony from certain things like codeine and stuff like that. And that, I don't know if anyone's ever had that, absolutely knocked you out as well. So it's just a combination of everything. You are just knackered. And, and Hodgkin's lymphoma, one of the side effects of the cancer I had. So I had, it's um, a kind of cancer that is of the white blood cells. Yeah. So the lymphatic system. And that anyway c- causes chronic fatigue, which I've just about gotten under control kind of yeah. what are we now seven years later it, yeah i was gonna say as well we're gonna get on to how it affects you now and what you're yeah doing now but, as it, well. but it does yeah it just makes you so tired like i was like i could sleep anywhere anytime yeah all the time like i was like a baby like just yeah, just, yeah, yeah. i'm like my cat like 14 hours how long do they say 18 hours a day or something ridiculous like that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so what are you doing now then you, you're, um, you're out working and oh out working in the big you, wide world in the big wide world so what do you do now both work wise and, and hobby wise and how as you say it has been a long long uh, process how's it still affected you yeah so the chemo kind of took like seven months I think and then I had the radio and then I um, kind of finished my A levels thank goodness because those yeah. were you know grim um, I mean, they're not nice for anyone. They're not nice alone. for anyone. They were a good distraction, though. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. So then I kind of did all that, and um, then I took a gap year, and then I went to uni, and then I did another gap year, um, and now I'm working. I'm on a grad scheme um, in London, which is great fun. Although obviously at home at the moment. Yeah. 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 yeah um, we're still sort of again that because they're coming out a week later. I mean, we still are sort of at the, the at tail the end, of maybe of locked the first yeah. lockdown. Anyway, fingers crossed. There's not another, but yeah, fingers um, crossed. And again, this is why I've brought you on because you were struggling with everything. You're still working back back when you're um, sort of, I don't know, in the, in the worst part of it. You're still doing your school work and, and going yeah. through A-levels. And then rather than just being someone who sort of packed it in and thought, right, I need to just get away from it all and I'll deal with it afterwards. You, you literally planned out, right, I'm going to take the gap here to help recovery things like that and, and just I don't know relax and, and get get yourself where you need to be um, I think yeah I don't know I'm not very good at relaxing so even when not? I was no, even when I was like on chemo I, but I think also I don't like being told what to do I have yeah. a real issue with and my sister will testify to this people telling me what to do yeah, yeah or telling me I can't do something so I think my kind of there were some teachers at my school who were kind of like oh you should take a year out like you shouldn't do your exams and I think I was and for some people that's definitely the right thing to do yeah I think with you know with cancer with mental health whatever it is if you need to take a break take a break yeah but I think for me I was just really angry at being told no so I was so like I was just like fine watch me <laughs> I'll do it I mean that's br- brilliant attitude the, the way you just got on with it and and sort of proved everyone around you wrong as well but I think I had a lot of support and I think yeah. I always always say that like I was so lucky with my support network and I yeah. think if anyone is struggling or with anything you know physical mental whatever it is a support network is is everything yeah. it's um it's amazing but i think they were just a nice distraction because chemo is like i said it's long you're in there all day it's kind of like what else do i do yeah so i'll just do some economics for a bit as but, you do as you do as you do now the road to recovery when i guess fair to call it that even though it's a very long road for, yeah for lots of people was there a point when the tables did start to turn and things were looking up? Because I can imagine when you first get that diagnosis, it is a very, like you said, somber, yeah, very glum sort of atmosphere. And the, and the word is like, oh my gosh, okay. Definitely. Um, when did it start to look around? It's like, don't get your hopes up, but. 
this is looking positive. So I think I was really lucky. I always think, and this sounds strange, but I definitely think I was lucky with my cancer. The type of cancer I had is very well researched. They didn't catch it very early. It was misdiagnosed quite a few times. But again, that was, I'm, you know, I'm never going to say that that was anyone's fault. Like there were a whole bunch of other things going on at the time that meant there were other reasons for my symptoms kind of thing. Yeah. Um, So my symptoms were kind of, you know, it's a bit grim, I guess, but like, you know, you have a lot of night sweats, obviously the lump, very tired, not putting on weight or losing weight. These are all key kind of symptoms of cancer. And anyone who's got symptoms such as this or just strange things that you know aren't aren't right with your body, what would you say, knowing what you know now, the first step, just go to a doctor and and get more than one opinion? Yes, I would say, I would say if you know your body and if you are really concerned something's not right if you don't if you're very tired if you've got any lumps or bumps night sweats if you've got um anything kind of like that or symptoms that you're just like this is really strange for me personally i just go to the doctor there's i mean there's no harm in going to the doctor and getting something checked out um uh, yeah i would would definitely say that but in regards to your question about the tables turning yeah um i think the point for me was losing my hair that was the the best bit if it was like okay. a plaster because when the hair was on my head i was like you're gonna leave me how dare you and i was yeah, like yeah. crying myself to sleep my poor mum would stay up with me all night and i would listen to this stupid art i read the fault in our stars literally two weeks before i was diagnosed oh my gosh. honestly and i was like i remember reading it and listening to this really sad song when i read it and then when my hair started coming out it comes out quick so okay. it's kind of like I remember just sitting there one day and then you put your hand in your hair and then all of a sudden like quite a few strands will come out more, way more than you kind of normally you just would. get the odd yeah 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 and then I would literally sit there just sort of like stroking it and pulling it out and my mum would be like oh don't and then because I'm a control freak I was like you're not gonna fall out I'm gonna shave you I'm Go gonna ahead, shave ahead, that ahead head so my mum again shout out to you Jules and George and gents um, <laughs> and I said to my mum can you just shave it um, and she was like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, yeah, do it. So she just sort of tied it in a ponytail, cut the ponytail off and then shaved my head. And that was pretty traumatic. Um, but once my hair was kind of off, I was like, it can't get any worse. I was like, the worst bit of it is done. Yeah. Um, that's sort of true and sort of not true. Like the treatment's pretty grim. But once the hair had gone, it was like a plaster. It was just ripped it off and I was like, oh my God, everyone knows. Yeah. And I, I liked not wearing a hat or a wig. I liked just going bald. Yeah. Because everyone knows like what it what it is yeah um and it's kind of interesting to see your head with no hair on it i suppose yeah like i wouldn't be like oh yeah shave your head that's fun um i mean do it if you want obviously but um <laughs> you know you find all these like weird freckles i've got like a weird dimple on the top of my head everyone's can, got a weird shaped head honestly you can balance a grape in it it's amazing like you find, <laughs> i would never have found that out you know um but yeah so that was kind of fine but it, when it falls out it goes really pretty so obviously i had like a buzz cut at this yeah. point but the hair goes really like black and prickly and it starts okay. to hurt when it comes out. It's like like little porcupine needles. Yeah. And like when you stroke it, it kind of like almost like pricks your fingers. It's crazy. It's the sort of thing that people don't talk about that God forbid someone else is going through this and perhaps listening or, or whatever. It's it's the things that people don't realise is going to happen. Yeah. It's the day-to-day things as well that people can now prepare themselves for when more people are sharing their story. Yeah, definitely. Um, but the, the way you just, okay, yeah, I'll shave my hair. Oh, it's not going to get much worse than this now. It, <laughs> that attitude is just incredible. But I, um, again, like I said, you know, I, I do think I'm very lucky. I have friends who their cancer was, it was different to mine in the sense that theirs was, was going to need like operations, amputations, uh, you know, reconstructive God. surgery. 
I always say to myself, I was very, like my, mine was advanced Hodgkins. Yeah. But it was treatable. And I think for, you know, I've had friends that theirs wasn't treatable. Yeah. And so, um, so I had a friend called Chase and actually on the 15th of July, it was, God, I think five years since she died. And it was like, you know, I always just consider myself incredibly lucky. Yeah. Like I had cancer, sure. And that's, you know, not ideal. But at the same time, I had the world's greatest oncologist an amazing family amazing friends and the you know Hodgkin's is, is very well researched yeah so I think I try and kind of count the blessings yeah so it, it's a weird one to speak about because I spoke about it last week um and it's it's trying to to remind yourself almost that you do have it bad and this is not a situation that's normal for people like not not everyone's struggling with this so in a sense of course you're unlucky you're in a bad position but the way that I deal with things day to day is, is just by reminding myself there is someone somewhere out there in the world who would give anything to be in your position, yeah. whatever that may be. Um, and obviously in your case, it was perhaps to be in a position where it's it's treatable. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and so, I mean, your attitude is just fantastic about getting on with it and, and not, not taking things for granted, perhaps. I think I think definitely. And I think the the... I mean, I'm 24. This is going to make me sound like I'm like 60. But the older <laughs> I get, I think, and the more I learn just about the world in general, um, I think I realise how lucky and how fortunate I am just yeah. in, in every single sense. Yeah. Um, and I think cancer was kind of the start of that. And I think maybe that's why the things I find interesting and, in, you know, what I studied at uni, I did, is because yeah. I started to understand the real-life consequences of just, what, like, where you're born that yeah. determines the treatment you've got, you know, what body you're born in. You know, yeah. men and women, often the types of cancers they have might be kind of differently researched. There might be different drugs, different treatments available. Yeah. Um, and for women especially, a big issue with cancer is fertility. So with men, it's often, you have to start treating cancer very quickly. And with men, it's very easy to collect um, kind of, you know, a, a sperm sample so that they yeah. can have children yeah, yeah, later. Yeah. With women up until actually two weeks before I started being treated, you would have to go through a cycle of IVF, which is, I mean, at the age of 17, I would have said no. It's, it's a traumatic yeah. experience for a lot of people. Um, I was very fortunate because two weeks before I had started my chemo, Oxford had just received a license to do ovarian cryopreservation. So they literally, you have an operation, they literally just take a slice, I think it's 30% of an ovary, and then they cryopreserve it, so they freeze it. Um, I know it's amazing shout out to Sheila <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah and Christine Becker my amazing gynecologist who is um, incredible incredible like genius of a man yeah um, and so they just freeze that and that's meant that you know my fertility was protected but again that's incredible the, the gender difference of cancer as well is there because yeah, yeah. not everyone has access to that it's still very new it's not available widely yet on the on the NHS and if it yeah. is it's only for certain types of cancers um so again, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I was so lucky. Two weeks before, I wouldn't have had it. Yeah. Like all these things, it was sort of like the the perfect timing, I suppose. And it gave me loads of opportunities. You know, I got to meet, I got to do loads of stuff for the TCT and be an ambassador for them. And then I got the year out and I got to work and do like my dream internship and that. So it was yeah. all, it, it kind of panned out things were, for me. So you actually said this, um, I don't think you'll you mind me saying you actually had a YouTube channel oh, six years God ago. Oh, God almighty. Um, if you want to shout it out, it's up to you. Um, no. <laughs> and you, you basically documented your journey. 
and I, I watched it through, and it's it's an incredible thing to to sort of watch each short little video clip, a few minutes. Um, and you said in, I think it was the first or second one, uh, it's a quote that actually comes up in the best exotic marigold hotel. Oh. Um, everything's going to be all right in oh, the end. Yeah. And if it's not all right, then it's not the end. That was, I don't know where I heard that. And but... it's the idea that things just, I'm a strong believer in just, it will work out. Yeah, there's you a... might have to do some stuff, but it's going to be all right. Exactly. There's an amazing book by Susan Jeffries called "Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway," and she says in that everything is happening perfectly, and whatever happens, I'll handle it. And I quite like that idea that you can't necessarily control what is going to happen. Yeah. I mean, you can't. Yeah, yeah. Despite my control freakness, I can't actually control what will happen. Yeah. But the only thing you do have control over is your reaction, and I suppose you just have to hope. And I say this with an enormous amount of privilege. I realise because I have an incredibly supportive family and a mum who was able to be there for me 24-7. But yeah. I think you have to hope that your life experiences have given you the skills to handle situations um, and your reactions to them. And if you haven't, then reaching out for help is, you know, by no means a, a show of weakness or anything like that. I think yeah. it's incredibly important. And I think, like I always say, you know, physical, mental, whatever it is, reaching out for help and having a support network is I think the most vital part yeah. of any recovery. Um, now we're going to go on to our customary sort of half time quick fire round. Oh God, I'm scared. 10 questions, answer as, as quickly and as honestly as you can. Okay. Um, we always do this before I think we get into perhaps the deeper stuff of, of mental health and yeah. mainly why I've got you on here, your outlook on life and, and how you've developed that and your experiences have perhaps changed you. But, Let's do our quick fire round. Are you ready? Ten questions. I don't know, okay. Some easy, some hard. Oh, God. Lettuce or rocket? Rocket. Favourite sport? Um, Yoga. Nice, okay. The hardest part for you about having cancer? Um, The the food taste changes. Yeah? Yeah. Um, Material presence or experiences? Oh, experiences. Dream career? Oh my gosh, um, being like the head of sustainability for for something, like a big company. Nice, okay. Uh, buffet or fine dining? I'm going to say fine dining only because I'd be too lazy to keep getting up for the buffet. <laughs> right, never fall in love but have loads of friends or find the love of your life but no friends. Friends, every single time. Okay, nice, nice. Christmas or birthdays? Oh, Christmas. Favourite meal? Uh, uh, pizza or pasta, Italian, Italian. Perfect. Um, and number 10, and we always have this, knowing what you know now and having been what you've been through, yeah. what advice would you give your 12-year-old self? Um, it's, a, it's a question of hindsight. Oh, gosh. Uh, probably um, back yourself a bit more. Yeah? Yeah. And In not, terms of confidence? Yeah, and remind yourself that people actually really don't care that much about what you do and that that's a really nice thing to know. You can yeah. do stupid things and look whatever way you want and people are too wrapped up in their own lives to spend their whole time thinking yeah, about yeah, yeah. that outfit you wore to your year eight disco with the yeah. fluorescent leg warmers which was I feel like you was, definitely wore that it outfit it was the fashion at the time Jed okay <laughs> it was, was doing all, it we've all been there year eight discos yeah. so in terms of mental health Lauren um was there anything you were dealing with both before during and after the experience um I think like many teenage girls around the world um you kind of, you know, go through phases where you have kind of very bad 
body image issues or you know things at school aren't great or whatever it is and so I think no one comes out of their teenage years completely perfectly mentally intact you know I think you get kind of battered about a bit yeah um and so I think you know mental health wise I had a few kind of body image issues I wasn't you know typical kind of the kind of things that you probably would expect yeah, um, yeah, yeah. quite a few people to, to deal with and, and do and I think that definitely if you feel like those are getting out of control like talk to someone um nothing to be ashamed of so I think I kind of had an experience about mental health with that um and then so I think that kind of made me a little bit more resilient when they started talking about the cancer yeah because I kind of thought oh well, you know, I already don't feel great about myself. So now you're going to take my hair away as well. And yeah. I was kind of like, oh, fine. Go on then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dare. <laughs> um, And they did. <laughs> yeah. They took that dare. Um, and so I think, yeah, in a way, it kind of made me a bit more resilient. And I think with mental health, it's it's one of those things where because you have to do the work, you can definitely have support and obviously get support. But at the end of the day, with the cancer, I was being, you know, driven in. I went in they knew what they were doing and I just had to sort of sit in a chair and yeah. you know maybe do some history essays or whatever but that yeah, was yeah. really my only part in it whether with mental health you have to do the really hard work yeah and that's you know for anyone who has had a mental health problem that is you know exhausting and then cancer obviously throws up its own mental health issues yeah. um because you just feel a bit I felt like I was missing out on quite a lot I think all my friends were starting to do the the drinking and like yeah, the boys yeah. or the girls, you know, whatever it was you're into. And then I think I was a bit kind of like sat on the sideline, like, oh, yeah, it's not even that I want to go and get drunk, but I just like the option. And how did you actually uh, deal with that sort of that FOMO, the fear of missing out? Um, so I think I used to, my, my mum, God bless her, she would like drive me to parties and wait outside so I could go in for like 15 minutes and then I'd be so tired. I'd be like, yeah. oh my God. And the problem is parties don't start. Why don't parties start at like 5pm in the afternoon? I think they we s- should turn them into day sessions. Because we want to drink and get back <sighs> and sleep. Just, everyone wants to go to bed. Like, yeah. everyone knows it. But we all start these parties at like... It starts like 10 o'clock, 10, 11 I mean, o'clock at now. at uni, and you're pre's and people are like, oh yeah, we'll leave at midnight. I'm like, what? midnight? What? I, I was be- planning on going to bed then. I literally want- I wanted to have been asleep for two hours at this point. So my mum would like drive me to these parties and I would kind of waddle in. And, I was- and people would kind of come up to me and be like, oh my god you're here and I think there was always that slight kind of you're still alive like really? I, I do honestly in a, in a nice way I think it was because people cared but you say cancer and most people just hear like yeah oh is that a bit of a death sentence and it's not anymore you know for it it doesn't always have to be and unfortunately for too many cases it is mm. but there's there is hope for many cases um and so I think I think to be honest the FOMO got worse the older I got I think I experience it more now, seeing my sister, who is incredibly sociable and has the most amazing social life. She is. She's out and about the whole time. Coolest gal I know. Um, And I think I get more jealous. I got more upset now with it. And I'll I'll cry to my mum now about it and be like, oh, I'm, especially when she's in sixth form, I'd be like, I'm so jealous. I was so happy for her. But it was this bittersweet, like, I never had sixth form. I never had, like, the teenage years, even at uni. I couldn't. The house parties. Yeah, I would just be so tired. I'd be like, in the corner asleep just well not literally although i did once have a nap in a club in right Lemington. please explain that well i don't drink so yeah. and if i do drink it's only been very very recently um and so i would i was like so tired we were in this nightclub and it was like um i went to warwick so it was kind of tiny little nightclubs in Leamington. Yeah. and there were like these chairs in the corner and i was so tired and i was like, looking over at them like god they look really inviting I'm like maybe if I, no one's going to notice if i just have a little lie down for like 20 minutes yeah 
And so I just went down and there were all these coats there and I just sort of like snuggled in the coats and just oh. had like a 20 minute kind of lie down. I was like, Brilliant. oh, it was very loud. Yeah, yeah. Very yeah. loud. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's, I think the, the FOMO and the mental health bit actually has caught up with me more now. Yeah. That I think about what I wish I'd got to do. Um, but you know, the, I'm, I'm here. I guess yeah. that, you know, I would have rather obviously given that up and still been here. Yeah. Um, but to anyone listening who is going through that, make the most of it. Yeah. Enjoy it. Enjoy it because, again, there's there's other people who aren't able to enjoy those experiences. So exactly, make the most of it. Definitely. Um, and as as sort of a side note, going through this, your health, fitness, that sort of well being lifestyle, did that change before versus after? Were you perhaps say not doing any exercise before, then afterwards you you sort of change your outlook and everything? I think, and it sounds like a boring word, but I think moderation is something yeah. I've always tried to and I'm not very good at it yeah. <laughs> um, but I think definitely after cancer you realise that whilst you want to be you want to kind of look after yourself in the best way you can life is also too short yeah. not to go and have a pizza with your friends or yeah, go yeah. and like just spend a day doing absolutely nothing because you want to like there's I don't know I, I feel like there's a lot of pressure on people to constantly either be doing something or be eating this or do that or don't eat this or whatever it yeah. is and that that's the the kind of the pinnacle of health but you know these diseases are so complicated there's so many different kind of bits to it I think I don't know I think now I probably I exercise because I enjoy it and it kind of makes you feel good and also you know lockdown is there's not really a lot else to do is there you go out for a walk go on a walk yeah um, it's good that sort of shift as well in in doing it because you enjoy it and because you want to and having things understanding that you can have things in moderation and enjoying when you do treat yourself not doing it and still feeling guilty you know I don't think you should ever feel guilty about it and I think the cancer kind of showed me you don't need to to be I'm using air brackets here for listeners um like perfect you don't have to have like the perfect diet the perfect skin the perfect body and whatever it is because I think cancer makes you very aware of your own mortality yeah and you're going to spend your whole time chasing that probably never achieve it because the standards will change, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, they're changing constantly. They're changing constantly. I mean, I can't keep up anymore. Yeah. It's just, you know, when I was, like, younger, I remember people being like, does my butt look big in this? As in, like, I don't want my butt to look big. And now, and now we're living in an era where if your butt does not look big, it's like, oh, my God, yeah. change. And it cycles. It's going to go... It'll go it's, back, unfortunately, you can't as well. Because as soon as people achieve it, you have to change it. Otherwise, you can't make a product to sell to get them yeah. to change so it So it is so important just to work on yourself and... And just trying to drill home the fact that the most important thing is to be happy with yourself, not definitely. with yourself in other people's eyes or compared yeah, to certain standards. Definitely. And I think also really being bald, um, you know, I was always very conscious about how I looked and worried that people would judge me for it. Yeah. Um, whatever, however they might do that. And I think being bald, I suddenly realised I'm literally walking around here with absolutely no hair. And you do feel quite naked with no hair. It's quite yeah. kind of liberating in a way. Um but I think I was just kind of like, oh, you know, people are still talking to me. They're still being my friend, yeah. even though I'm bald and stuff like that. I think if anything, and this is, I think, sort of a slightly morbid part of human nature is that when we think someone's going to die, we're really, really nice to them. Yeah. I think I definitely found that, you know, people in shops would let me in front of them. Um, people would kind of go out of their way to make things easier for me, which was absolutely lovely. Um, but again, I think that's where the, the, the point about mental health, you know, not all health problems are visible yeah and so you can't always just be like well you don't look ill 
So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, because um, I think, you know, now, even seven years on with the cancer, I still get very tired very quickly. You know, yeah. my friends can do all nicers and they're absolutely fine. And for me, it's like I'm a I'm a And now people off. don't understand it because there's not the visible no i've got of, uh, my hair there. back yeah you wouldn't look at me and be like oh and yeah you have lovely hair She's by like, the way oh, it's some of the most so flowy hair i've oh, ever seen stop, Jed. <laughs> too much um yeah so i think um yeah so your outlook um in terms of firstly i mean appearance so like you said was there when you shaved your hair there's a massive thing about hair and femininity, isn't there, as well? Yeah. Did you did your values in terms of your appearance change? Did you start to value other things about yourself when, say, you shaved your hair? Or what What was your process of going through, I don't know, your body image and how you looked going through yeah, this? Yeah, I think it's, it's a difficult one because I think, like you said, you know, long hair is associated with kind of the traditional concepts of femininity. Yeah. Um, but I think... And again, as I've gotten older and understood gender more and, and understood gender as a performative act rather than something that is necessarily, um, you know, in, something we're born with. You know, yeah. it's not like, oh, she's a girl. She's definitely going to have blah, blah, blah. I don't think we can necessarily say that. And I think I was at the time very much like, oh, my hair is my identity. That's what makes me, quote unquote, like pretty or attractive or whatever. Yeah. But I think going through that, I just suddenly realized if someone is paying you attention purely because of the way that you look that's a very you said that as well you said in one of your videos how and it's so true if people treat you differently because of certain things it hurts in the short run but in the long run you don't need those people in your no. life if anything you've done yourself a favor yeah by protecting yourself it's a filter from, You're it's, filtering literally, out the bad. it's literally a filter um and it i think yeah and then you know the people that i'm friends with now are I'm sure if I was bald again, like it's not going to make a difference. Yeah. I think it it does. I would say, um, in terms of, I remember seeing my friends kind of getting all these boyfriends and stuff, and I wasn't really interested in it at the time. Yeah. And I think I was a bit like, the the one thing I would say is that people would often kind of be like, "Oh, you're a very pretty egg," and I'd be like, mm, "Could I not just right. be like a pretty person? Do yeah. I have to be like? Do you have to bring the baldness into the description there?" That's crazy. I know it's blaringly obvious, but um. But I think, you know, it's people trying to be nice. And I don't it's people, people saying, oh, you're, you're pretty for a... Oh, that, you're pretty for it. an older lady. You're this, oh, for that, it's like... Exactly. Oh, oh you're, you're very good looking for a skinny guy or something. It's like, okay, well, it's, why um, does that play a part? Well, it's, exactly. uh, it's backhanded compliment, isn't it's, it? And it really frustrates me. And even now, you know, the way that people... Yeah, like you said about the, the older ladies thing as well. I don't know why. Yeah. Oh, she's good looking for an older lady. There's this narrative It's basically saying that you, you, you're... A, you're already saying she's not good looking, but for that but, category, but, oh, yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's crazy. I mean, there's this narrative around sort of women losing value as they get older. And I think, yeah. you know, I felt like maybe my value had sort of decreased by losing my hair or whatever. Um, but actually, I realized that I, I'm not like, no offense, but the people who were the, my friends at school aren't always going to, they're not going to be your friends now. Yeah. Like you just, you kind of fall in and out of friendships with people as you grow up. And I think like you said about it sounds cheesy but being happy with yourself yeah if you're not happy with yourself then you're not ever gonna really I, i've realized when you start to accept yourself and, and you're happy with who you are it's an ongoing process you're constantly working on yourself physically and mentally but when you hit a stage which i think i'm lucky enough to have hit now everything starts to fade away the idea of you need money for this and you need to do that and 
you need to be going out to this event to, to yeah. keep up appearances. It all begins to fade away when you become more and more comfortable in yourself. Yeah. And how, how did you do that? How did you kind of... For me, it's a bit hypocritical to say because I didn't accept myself. Yeah. But I worked on what I didn't like because it was in my control. And I yeah. think that's very important. I don't, I don't like people who complain about something that's within their control to change. Um, and so I worked on it. I worked on my body basically to a point where... I did become happy with it, but it's an ongoing process. I'm still going to keep working on myself. Um, so yeah, and things I can't control in the short run, it was horrible to to have to accept because you, I, I don't know, for some people it might be their height or, or something, things you can't control, you, you've got to accept. But when you're able to accept that, again, it's just a whole new, it's a whole new lease of life, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah, my, my, I'd say my advice would be to, to change what you can what's within your control and if it's not going to matter in five years time don't spend more than five minutes worrying about it that's a good one it's things like breakups five years time it's, it's not going to be an issue so don't try not to let yourself lose sleep over it no um now good advice. going through what you went through there's obviously must have been a roller coaster of emotions there's going to be your your ups and downs aren't there getting yourself out of these these ruts these probably quite low points mentally how did you do that Again, I think I was so lucky with the support I had. Like, so, so, so lucky. Um, yeah. But I think I also speak from an incredible pr- place of privilege in the fact that I was in a family who could afford for my mum to look after me. Yeah. Rather than, you know, I have friends whose parents had to, both of them were working and they often would have to sit alone in hospital. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I do come from a place of incredible privilege with that. I had a laptop I could take around with me. I had, you know, um, people who would help me. Yeah. with kind of schoolwork and stuff I had a sister who was very patient and supportive when we were home late all the time you know I had a nanny and granddad who would look after the dog so we didn't have to worry there's all these things that kind of played into it um and I think I would always try and say to myself and it sounds strange but I remember being really bored in like year 11 English classes and being like god this hour's going on forever and then remembering oh but actually before you I knew it that hour was finished and then I was like, oh, well, if, you know, think how quickly that hour went. Yeah. And then think how quickly everything you haven't wanted to do in life has gone. Like, before you yeah. know it, you're looking back at it. And so whenever I'm kind of scared about something now or um, whenever I, I don't want to do something or I'm nervous about something, I try and think, oh, but remember how quickly that hour in year 11 went? Because now you're like That's however many years down the line yeah, yeah, and yeah. you're looking back at it. That's an incredible way to look at things. I've never thought about that. How... I mean, how it does all come to an end so eventually so you're gonna get, get over whatever you're not enjoying yeah. and before you know it you're looking back at something yeah, yeah yeah um and yeah it's not ideal but and at the time it does feel like forever like yeah. it does but try and break it down so you know if you can do day by day if you can't do day by day do hour by hour if you can't yeah. do hour by hour literally do like five minute segments i work meal by meal to be honest that's, that's how, how i plan that's how I work. my day i would say i'd be like mm, how many hours to lunch how yeah, many hours yeah, yeah. To dinner and I guess you could apply it to enjoying the things that are happening as well and and appreciating what's going on when it's going well. Because yeah. again, these things, as you say, everything that's happened, you look back on. There's very few events that are still continuing going on. So appreciate and enjoy what's good whilst it's there. Definitely. Um, I think, yeah, there are opportunities that come out of situations sometimes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I got to be a Teenage Cancer Trust ambassador. I got to be an ambassador for the Future Fertility Trust. I got to then have a year out to do this internship I wanted to do. Like, all these things that I wouldn't have probably done if I'd just been 
quote unquote normal, whatever that is. Yeah. I don't think there is a such thing, but I wouldn't have the chance to do. Yeah. Um, you got to meet Ed Sheeran, which was pretty cool. No way. It was all worth it for that, Ed. That's crazy. Um, and that's when he probably was blowing up at the time, Ed I guess. Was, I mean, you know, he's a star, what can I say? He, he was, is? We got flown to Riga to meet him. Like, it was amazing. Oh my God. I want a trip to New York. Like, when you... And this sounds awful, but I think I realised that when you say cancer and when you're young, yeah. people are just like, oh my God. Like, and it's it's strange because I often think, like, I literally had it the best. Yeah. Like, there are people who have it so much worse than me in terms of the cancer they have. But I was, you know, very fortunate with the support I had. And I hope that, that you know, people show that, that compassion regardless of whether it's mental, yeah. physical, whatever. Because I think how, how much nicer would the world be the world would be in a much better place if everyone acted in their nicest moments, in when they're feeling most compassionate towards someone, yeah. when they're feeling they need to help someone. If everyone just made an effort to act like that towards everyone, I mean, the, the world as a whole would be a much better place. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you know, the world is probably not in the, the best shape it's been. Not at all. Um, but no, I think there's that. And there's a philosopher who writes about this, and I can't remember what it is, but imagine yourself being born in like the worst position and how would you act to make things better for that person? person and so I think you know with the teenage cancer trust I was thinking oh I'm not really doing much being an ambassador and just going to events but then I realized oh but then people might see me and think oh I'll donate and then that donation is going to go in and help someone who's maybe both of their parents have to work yeah. and so they have to stay on the ward but and, and you're inspiring those who are at the start of their journey perhaps I, I definitely made some friends who who were kind of a few months behind me kind of in terms of the journey yeah um and it was really nice to well not nice it was a horrible situation but it was great to be able to like give them tips that yeah. I hadn't had um and so I guess in that way in that small kind of way it maybe helped someone you know what Lauren it it's been incredible speaking to you uh it's an absolute breath of fresh air and just your outlook is it's what I'm aspiring to as such the idea not taking things for granted just being nice to others just spreading the love spreading the positivity um, and and sort of getting your head down and just getting on with with whatever you're faced with not letting things get you down so it's it's exactly why I wanted to speak to you you're, you're an inspiration to everyone around well, I, you I, I would say the same about you Jed oh, right back at you far too kind thank you um it's been wonderful uh, so guys at home if you're enjoying your cup of tea or your cup of coffee or you're enjoying your life, which I hope everyone is. It has been lovely speaking to you, and I'll speak to you all next week. <laughs>